0: Well, if you know anything about me and my wife, you'll know that one of the greatest joys that we have are uh, our three little boys, Benjamin, Johnny, and Jack. Uh, We take great delight in them, and we love the way that all of them are unique individuals. And it's crazy because they've had basically the same upbringing, right? And and yet they show such diversity. So for instance, uh, I I love my five-year-old Jack. He's the one that's sporting cowboy boots with shorts today, like that's normal. Um, uh, Jack is a joy. Uh, he is a, a real mix, if you know him, between tenderheartedness and fearlessness. Uh, that's Jack, and he is just tons of fun. Uh, one of the things I love to do is to take him to school in the morning. And so uh, many mornings, I'll go and I'll drop him off early. And as uh, we're dropping him off, uh, one of the things that I like to do, I like to not wait in the line and let him just get out of the car and run in. I like to park the car and then walk him in, and I'll hold his hand and something happened profoundly uh, startling to me about halfway through the year. We were walking uh, up to the school, and about halfway, he started to notice his buddies caught his eye. And his hand began to sort of tug away from mine. Now, now, Johnny is, I mean, Jack is five years old. And he is already concerned about what his friends think of him, and he starts pulling his hand away. Well, on the other side, I'm like grabbing it, gripping it a little bit tighter, Right? I'm like, no, it's not time yet. When you're 21, we won't do this anymore. But until then, you're going to hold my hand. But eventually, he, he starts fighting, and he pulls away. And so uh, now, many days, he just, like, pulls away. We don't even fight anymore, and I let him do it. And we get over to the curb. And then, um, because he wants to be shown as strong, uh, this is the great irony that I take delight in. Then he says, quick kiss, Dad. Kisses me, and then walks in, right? Because he's fearless. And so, uh, that's Jack, and... Um, one of the things that has uh, been really encouraging is uh, the way that he loves his mom. And so recently his mom took him and another family uh, with children his age to uh, this, this ministry, uh, this uh, event, this exhibit that was put on by Compassion International. And it's basically where you walk through and you see what it would be like to live in a third world nation. And so Carrie takes brave little Jack through and she grabs his hand. And as they're walking through, she's just thinking it's adorable because he's actually taking her hand in front of his friends. And she notices as they walk through that he starts to tighten his grip on her hand. And she says, Jack, you okay? Are you scared? And he says, no. But then she could feel him start to shake. And as they walked further into it, uh, she noticed that he was really sort of uh, easing into her. And and as they got ready to come to a place where they could go to more of the exhibit or or leave, she said, are you ready to go the rest of it? He says, no, I want to go. And and, and so she put him in the car and they walked away. And as they were uh, driving away, uh, she said, Jack, what's wrong? He said, you know, I I was scared, mom, that you were going to leave me there. It was terrifying to see the way that those children had to live. And and I just I couldn't stand it. I needed I needed to make sure that you weren't going to let me go. Well, Jack, as, fearful, as fearless as he was, was fearful on that day. He knew that what he needed more than anything was the embrace of his mother who loved him. We know today what we're going to find is, is a story about disciples who really look a lot like Jack and a lot like all of us, who find themselves in the midst of a terrifying situation. And what they know in that moment is, unlike any other, what they need is they need to grip Jesus. That They need His hand. They need to know that He's there. And that's exactly what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're back in the middle of our uh, series on the Gospel of Mark, the amazing true story of Jesus. And, and here today, what we find is we're confronted uh, with the disciples who Jesus lead into confronting the fear of facing a terrifying storm. And what we're going to see is, is that they needed Jesus. The, their fight flight senses, uh, they, 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 they sort of hit And they knew they needed to do something, but they're in a boat and there's nowhere to go, and they knew the only place that they could go was Jesus himself. Now, maybe this morning you don't feel uh, like you're as brave as the Mongolian warrior Genghis Khan, right? Uh, The guy who took over uh, more territory in 25 years than the Roman Empire did in 400. Maybe you don't feel like you're that guy, but this morning as you're listening to this story, maybe you're thinking, I'm not a scaredy pants though, I'm not fearful. Right? So maybe this you're thinking this isn't speaking to you. But what the Bible says, if you read it carefully, is is that fear is something that all of us struggle with. And fear comes in many forms, in many ways, and goes by many aliases. We'll see that all throughout the pages of the Scripture. Uh, Maybe uh, you need to redefine your understanding of what fear is. See, fear is a sense of awe, or it is something that you look to that controls the way that you live in a way that is uh, disproportionate to what it should. And so maybe this morning you're controlled by fears in such subtle ways they've gone undetected in your life. See, I I think that we live in a a culture that actually coddles our fears and even gives them names. Uh, If you pick up any counseling journal, uh, you'll find that fears have many different titles that have been given to them sometimes fear rears its head and the child who is shy and the fearful of what others think about them or a teenager might be struggling with peer pressure concerned fearful about the way that others look at them and it grips them in such a way that it determines the way they live or maybe you're an adult who is known by others as a people pleaser And you struggle to even tell the truth because you care so much about how others will respond if you were to tell the truth or let people know how you really felt. Or maybe you're ambitious, living for how people think of you. And each of these really rename a biblical category that we see everywhere, which is the fear of man. So all of us, I believe this morning, struggle in some way of a fearfulness. And what we need this morning is to be visited afresh by the grace of God that silences our fears. And so this morning, uh, what I'd like to encourage you to do is look with me in the gospel of Mark. We're going to be there this morning in chapter four that we just read. And our big idea that we're going to be thinking about is this. We're thinking about the good news that the gospel has for you. And it's this God's grace wars against earthly fears. God's grace wars against earthly fears. Now, we're going to think about that a number of ways. First, we'll notice in verses thirty five to thirty seven that Jesus takes us to dangerous places. Jesus takes us to dangerous places. This morning, if if you're a a new Christian or a non-Christian, don't miss this. See, following Jesus is simultaneously the safest and the most dangerous calling in all of the world. You you should expect, if you're going to follow Jesus, uh, that you are going to face your greatest fears. If you're living for Jesus, you're going to be confronted by the things that you fear most. And that's exactly what happens to the disciples who are with Jesus after a long day of teaching as he's sitting in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and he is uh, preaching in parables to all of those who are on the shore. Jesus says, let's shove off and go. And and that's exactly what happens to the disciples uh, as they are uh, going in this journey in the boat. And we're told in verses 35 to 37 what happens. Uh, Jesus tells these disciples after this long day of teaching uh, look there with me in verse 35 and 37 to what happens. There we're told, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. And what a terrible scene. You'll remember that Jesus had His disciples with Him on that day in that boat. And of those disciples, four, 4 we know at least, were fishermen. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They were experts at sailing and fishing in this very sea, the Sea of Galilee. It was not an unusual experience for them to be out on the water. They knew this, this great resource, this lake resource, where they would uh, receive fresh water and fish. In fact, it's the deepest freshwater lake in the world, and it's surrounded by hills, creating a natural amphitheater, which really was helpful for Jesus as he taught. But the Sea of Galilee also also had a reputation for being dangerous, and it was notorious for horrific seventy mile per hour hurricane-like winds that would erupt from nowhere, creating waves that would sometimes grow to five to ten feet tall. You can imagine how terrifying that would be. If you were in a small 15-passenger boat, just think about it. A Category 1 hurricane uh, says that you're going to have winds from somewhere between uh, 75 and 95 miles per hour. Imagine imagine you taking your kayak or your canoe out on the lake and all of a sudden a Category 1 hurricane hits you. That's about where they're at. About five miles short of that uh, is the winds hit. It is a terrifying experience. Wouldn't that be absolutely horrific. Let me ask you a quick question before we move on. How did the disciples end up in that storm? What does the story tell us? I'm sure some of you are sitting there thinking, well, that's an easy question. Thank you. They took a boat. Duh, right? Well, no, let's let's think a little bit more deeply about it than that. That's true. But Jesus led them directly into the heart of that storm. Jesus was the one who said, Let's go from here to there. And of course, when you go from here to there, you usually take a straight line. And Jesus takes them right into the heart of this storm. Now, why do you think that Jesus would do that? Well, here's a tip it's not because Jesus was a carpenter and not a fisherman, so he didn't know any better. See, Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. And he knew that that route would encounter The storm, and don't miss this very important, I think, central detail about this story. The storm the disciples faced that day did not represent an unforeseen interruption in what Jesus expected to be a smooth trip from one side to the other. Hear me, this storm was the main point of Jesus' journey on that day. It was the main point for Jesus, and it was the main point for the disciples. And catch this, Jesus knew the disciples would see Him more clearly. More clearly than they ever had before in the eye of that deadly storm than they would ever have seen Him on the peaceful shores of Capernaum. He wanted them to have their full gaze zeroed in on Jesus on that day so that they could see Him in a way that they had not looked to Him before. And He wanted to show them something that they had yet to see in Him about His character. About who He was. And we see Jesus ourselves, also, brothers and sisters, more clearly in the fearful storms of this life than we do on the peaceful shores of our daily experiences. Sometimes we need the storm to see Jesus. It's not that He's more visible. It's that we're looking harder. See, that's, that's why we need the storm. It's not that He becomes more visible to us. It's that we look more deeply and hard at Him. And trusting Christ with our lives promises to take us to dangerous places. Friends, you need to know that. You know that this is exactly the message of the Bible from the front to the back. Now, I know that you probably, you've heard a lot of stories, a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of sermons. About how Jesus always promises to carry you through any storm. And that's so true. But I think it's incomplete. Jesus also promises to lead you to storms that He will lead you through. I love the promise that Jesus makes to believers in John 10, 28-29. I love it. Uh, He makes uh, this promise that He will always carry us through any storm that we go. It's a glorious promise that we don't want to let go of. Uh, John 10, 28-29, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me, He is greater than all. And now He is able nobody is able to snatch them out of the father's hand now do you see the image of security here he's going to carry you through anything he says at first uh, we are in the hands of christ the son and he says if that's not enough for you we are also in that in the hand of god the father there is a uh, i mean you just get the image there's a, a double clutched grip that god has on you he's not going to let you go And we are told that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, has a white-knuckled grip on Christians that none could snatch them away from Him. And if that's not good enough, God the Father also has a grip on us. That's why nothing can separate us from the love of God and His omnipotent hand. But don't miss this. The same Jesus that will lead us through the storms of this life, He will also lead us to them. So just like my wife, Carrie, led Jack through that scary exhibit and circumstance Jesus will not only lead us through terrifying circumstances, He'll lead us to them. And catch this. I don't know all of the reasons following Jesus can lead us to the fearful realities of this life. Uh, Experiences like fatal diseases. Uh, Maybe this morning uh, you have had some kind of experience in the past with a natural disaster that has claimed your goods or people that you love. Uh, Maybe you have lost children or spouses, or you are single and lonely, or or whatever it is, you're facing uh, experiences that in your eyes are fearful beyond belief to the point that you almost are paralyzed. God, He's wise beyond all of our collective wisdom. But I believe, I believe there are a couple of reasons that He takes us to to dangerous places. I can't talk about them all here, but let me just give you a couple first. It's because there is no place on the face of the earth Or in space, if you are to take a rocket, that is free from danger because of the effects of sin. As you walk through this life, you will, in Christ, see the sin and the brokenness and the fallenness of this world more, not less. Because you'll have a category for what's going on. You understand it's not supposed to be this way, and it's because God is good And so as we experience these things, we should expect that there is nowhere that we will go that we will not only witness the brokenness of this world, but that we're actually part of it in such a way that we're going to experience it ourselves. But there's a second thing that we need to to recognize. For the reason of us us being confronted with the tragedies and the the fearfulness of this life, it's, it's that we need to recognize that our story doesn't end here. Brothers and sisters, our story... It doesn't end in this broken world. That's not where we're going. See, this this is just the beginning. And there's a third thing that we need to know. uh, that Between now and when Jesus gets back to fix everything and to set it right, He will never let us go from now until then. So don't let go of Him, right? Isn't that what He's saying? Don't let go of me. I'm not going to let go of you. And Jesus brings us to the storms of this life because that's where we begin to grip His hand with the intensity that our neediness really demands. See, Jesus says to you, I believe, the same thing that John Calvin says that, uh, that God said to Abraham when he called him to leave everything he knew to come and follow him and face difficult circumstances. He says, I want you to close your eyes and take my hand. You know, I know that w- what I'm asking you to do is fearful and you're looking at the world outside and where you're going. And it's terrifying. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to trust My voice. Trust that I am who I say I am more than you trust what you see with your eyes. Brothers and sisters, we wake up each morning with that fresh call from Christ to close our eyes and take His hand and obey Him and follow Him in ways that will glorify Him day in and day out. Trust the voice of God and take the hand of God. But second, we see here in verse 38, we see that faithless fear says Jesus doesn't care. Faithless fear says Jesus doesn't care. Did you see that? So you can imagine chaos is breaking out on the, the surface of this boat with these uh, very well-trained fishermen and others. And the waves, if you've ever been on a boat, you've, you've probably been in, in, in the ocean, and you've noticed how the boat can rock back and forth, and, and it really can jostle you all around. And you almost feel like a little ball in one of those games. It's just kind of getting knocked back and forth, and it's thudding back and forth, and there's lots of pressure on this boat and, and, and in addition to that uh, they're, they're probably fearful that maybe the boat will will turn over and it'll collapse And I mean these aren't boats that were made not to sink they they sunk and, and so they're probably fearful the boat's about to sink and if not sink that a, a huge wave could come over and crush them all fearful and terrifying experience on the duck on the deck and as, as they're doing this I'm just imagining that in the background You've got like the, the wheel right of the boat just kind of spinning uncontrollably around because that's what happens in all the sea movies. I mean, it's terrifying. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, this is what I love in the story. Uh, it says one of the disciples basically decided to take a head count and said, hey, you know, who's all here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see, I got, I got 12, but wait a minute, 13. Where's, where, uh, who's missing? Oh, Jesus. Where's Jesus. Like, anybody seen Jesus? We, we weren't paying attention, now everything's gotten rough, and now we really want to find Jesus, where is he? And I love the image that we get in verse 38. They find Jesus, where was he? Jesus, it says in verse 38, he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, <laughs> right? He's on his pillow. And the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown?" Now, this sounds very much like the story of Jonah, doesn't it? And here we have Jesus in the boat. It's going crazy. And they are terrified. But check this out. Don't, for a minute, underestimate the ferocity of this storm. Like, we don't need to miss this. The fearfulness of this experience. Now, just think about this. This. Um, When I'm on a plane, I I don't normally get really nervous at all. Whatever, I'm sitting next to a guy who's like clutching, you've been next to that guy, the armrest. As though if a plane goes down, that armrest is going to save him at all, right? I don't get nervous. I I don't make fun and I don't get nervous. I don't get nervous when I see the lady next to me say, hey, would you like some Dramamine? This is how I do it. I sleep through this experience. Don't get nervous. That's not what it does for me. Uh, Here's when I would get nervous. If I were to see the flight attendant break out in sweats, start to cry, scurry down the aisle, look for that one limited, you know, uh, uh, parachute that they've got in the back for the staff, not the passengers. Like, that's when I start to get a little bit nervous, right? Well, let me just say this. When you're in a boat and you've got four trained fishermen who have been on the Sea of Galilee their whole lives and they are terrified, and they're looking for a carpenter in the back of the boat. You know, something's very wrong. And so they run, and they're looking for Jesus. And He's kicked back catching Z's on a cushion. Now, we all want fearless leader. All of us want that. But this, I think, is a little too fearless for the disciples' taste. Right? They want a little more action. Some of you I know are thinking right now, wow. I really am like Jesus. I can sleep through anything too. I don't think that's the application of the story. Have you ever been so scared that you felt like your heart just landed on the table in front of you and you're just looking at it and you're like, I don't know what we're going to do about this. Maybe your, your boss said that you're fired or the doctor said that you're really sick or that your baby might have a disease or your wife says that she's done and and your mind starts reeling like the wheel of Jesus' boat. And don't miss this. Some say that we don't say what we mean when we're scared, when we're fearful. Like, hey, don't, don't really take into account what people say when, when they're afraid. Like, that's, that's not the time to really be listening close. And I think that that's a good point if you're trying to counsel someone. Like, they need to be loved and cared for. But as for us, as we are experiencing the fear ourselves... We need to know that sometimes that's when we speak most clearly about what we believe. And to be sure, when we walk into the terrifying circumstances of the lives of others, it's not time to start correcting one another. But to be honest, sometimes it's before the terrifying storms of this life. And all the the most terrifying storms that this life has to offer that we say what we truly believe about God. You know, we get scared and it pops out. And neither and all of its powerful frail beauty it's exposed and all of its ugliness notice that the disciples hard hearts are on display here as they ask a question a question that i believe many of us might be asking this morning maybe not in this exact way but in our own colorful way and what do they ask jesus when they wake him up they say teacher Don't you care if we drown? Just think about it. Something paralyzing hits you. And haven't you asked this question? I mean, somewhere in there, maybe it's your first question or second, maybe it's somewhere deep in the dialogue with God, you start asking, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now you might be asking some variation of this question this morning amidst both the great or even the more subtle fears of life. And maybe you're asking right now, Jesus, don't you care if I drown? Because it feels like he's asleep in the, the back of the boat in the midst of your storm, right? Now, I, I remember uh, during the, the recession that hit in 2008 and 2009, uh, I, was, I was a green pastor just like coming out. Um, uh, I, I dealt with some of this uh, early on, um, this recession uh, in whenever I was in Florida. Uh, we had a, a company that sort of hired everybody in town and then things went south, and so everybody started getting fired. I remember I had uh, basically about a six-month period where every day when I showed up to church, somebody in church had been fired by somebody who went to the church. And then I showed up here, and everybody was losing their house. And it's in that recession that people are losing things that they've spent their lives and livelihoods on, and, and I'm, I'm hearing this question pop up constantly. Jesus, don't don't you care if I drown? I mean, drown in debt, right? I've had many friends lose homes and retirements that they had worked their whole lives for. And counseled many. Where they were asking in one way or another, Jesus, do you care if I, I drown? Or as my wife, as she was going through chemo and radiation and countless surgeries, I heard my own heart began to scream out, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Or maybe you're facing a more subtle psychological fear this morning like knowing that you have lost your wife or your husband because you were too proud and cruel or neglectful. Or maybe you're fearing this morning as a grandparent over what kind of legacy you're going to leave and whether or not anybody will really care if you're gone. And will anybody miss you when you're gone? And maybe when you're confronted by those fears, you are in your heart in one way or another, maybe not verbatim, but in some way, you're asking Jesus, don't you care that we drown? Are you, are you there for us? Or are you sleeping in the stern of the boat? Have you ever asked yourself this question? We'll, we'll get to Jesus' answer in just a minute, but for now, can we just admit that the question I believe tells us, hear me close, I believe the question itself tells us more about our love for God than God's love for us. I believe when we ask Jesus that question in that moment, it has a lot more to do with us and how we view God than God and how He views us. See, our fears tell us about what or who truly reigns in our hearts and what controls us. And let me just tell you that from personal experience. You know, the storms of this life are what send us looking for Jesus in the back of the boat. Like We, we were leaving Jesus alone. We had... No no need for Jesus until things got crazy. And then we needed Jesus a lot. See, our fears say much more about our love for Jesus than Jesus' love for us. See, the Bible seems to think that we are enough, that we care enough for ourselves naturally. We don't have to teach children. I don't have to teach Jack and Ben and John. I'm really concerned that you don't care enough about yourself and your own needs. Let's, let's, let's teach you some lessons on how to be more self-centered, because I just don't think you think enough about you. Well, it comes naturally, doesn't it? And the Bible says so. And the Bible says that what we actually need desperately is to be pushed to think more outwardly about Christ and others. So we are constantly encouraged to repent of self-centeredness that can be emphatically exposed in the white hot heat of our darkest fears coming to life. mean that's where all of a sudden when fear hits that we we see what we truly are clinging to because don't our fears honestly don't they honestly make vividly clear for us what it is that we are clinging to and scared to death of losing i mean isn't that what you see in your fear maybe you didn't think about it that way maybe you didn't get past the fear and the emotion to say why is it that i'm so scared i'm scared because i feel like i deserve this And if you take it, I love it more than you, and I won't love you anymore if you take this thing that I feel like I'm owed, right? So often I find my heart in the midst of my my desperate fear complaining to God about what He owes me and what He's taking from me rather than what He has given and how good He is. So we're constantly thinking about ourselves, and we, we all want a hall pass for what comes out of our hearts in the face of our fears. 1 Peter 3.14 tells us, but even if you should suffer for what is right, brothers and sisters, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear the world. Do not be frightened. In Matthew 10.28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, many of our fears tip us off that we need to repent of needing others and other things too much we fear and are controlled by all kinds of good things what's controlling you this morning is it is it your wallet your money maybe it's your health your health your fear of what your health is going to do in the future it has you paralyzed and controlled you cannot serve god you cannot share christ you don't have time right now you you, you can't read your scriptures you can't pray to god because you're paralyzed because you're controlled by something other than Christ. Maybe it's your kids. Your kids' future, their education. All kinds of really good things can paralyze us and control us and show us that we haven't been been putting our confidence in Christ. The question is, what do you think about Jesus when those good things are in danger? Do you still see Jesus as altogether glorious and good and powerful? Or is it just a quick reason not to believe that God is who He says He is anymore? So notice Jesus' response to the disciples questioning Jesus' care for them. In verses 39-41. to 41. Look what He says. It's not quite what you'd expect. But He says, the fear of the Lord casts out fears. Like your problem with fear is that you're not fearful of the right things. Let me tell you what the right thing is. And here Jesus Doesn't answer the disciples' question, but here's how he responds to the question. He says, uh, Look in verse 39 to 41 at what he says. It says in verse 39 that Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and and, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Who is this guy? You would hope that they would know at this point. But Jesus has already showed who He is, right? I mean, Jesus, He's he's like Superman. He's the guy who fights back demons. He's the guy who heals the sick. He is the miracle worker who can feed those who are hungry. This man is a unique, one-of-a-kind kind kind of guy. And you're thinking, if anybody knows who this man is, it's the disciples. But do you see the unique power that he puts on display here that he has yet to show? As the wind wails and the waves rage, Jesus rebukes the wind, saying, quiet. And the waves saying, be still. And here's what happens. Both stop dead in their tracks, like trained dogs. Sit, boom, still. Still. Now, that must have been an amazing image. Can you imagine? I mean, if you've ever been in an ocean, you know that if waves come, it takes a while for them to stop. But here, Jesus is like a light switch. You're off. And they're done. And it's still. See, Jesus, He shows that He has a unique kind of authority. I mean, what kind of authority does this man have? And why does it say that He rebukes these waves and this wind? Well, Jesus, we know, has come to undo the works of Satan. And all of his devices, including using storms to afflict the people of God. And so Jesus pushes back sickness and demons and catastrophes as a small keyhole. Small keyhole-like glimpse into the future that he is ushering in. He says, I'm going to give you a moment to see what is going to be forever. And then Jesus turns and asks them, and I love this. He looks at the disciples after doing this and he says, why are you... So afraid. Why is there a great fear in you? In verse forty. Now, this is a word I love. This word for fear. It just means cowardly, and they are so cowardly. And he says, you know, basically, if you thought that they were afraid during the storm, these disciples, and they were. Once they see Jesus go dog whisper on the wind and the waves, and commands them to sit, and they obey. Verse forty-one says they were terrified. In fact, in the Greek, this word for terror comes from repeating the word. Phobos, the same word that we get phobia from. It's repeated twice. So they were doubly afraid. They were afraid, afraid. Speaking of this text, Pastor John MacArthur says, the only thing worse than having a storm outside of your boat is having God in your boat. And that's an occasion to be fearful of. See, the transcendent God drew near to the disciples in that little boat to respond to their question with a question Do you still have no faith? Notice he doesn't say a little faith. We know what a faith of a mustard seed can do. He says, do you not have no faith? Don't miss this. For Jesus, their fear was an issue of faith. Our fears are an issue of our faith. They are not a morally neutral issue. Our fears really speak to how we view God the Father and His Son and the Spirit. Now, did they trust in the sovereignty of God? Did they understand who Jesus was? He's the God-man. And, and the fear of the Lord is, is here a, a yet another way to speak of faith, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of wisdom. So says Proverbs. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is God's clearest revelation of Himself in whom all of the glory of God resides. Like that's who He is. So the question is, these, these folks are invited into the fear of the Lord and that faith trust that Jesus is King. See, we, we need to fear the Lord. Now, of course we know that our fear of the Lord, it, it is not the fear that say you would have of a monster where you're terrified. Because it's a powerful being that is not good. Now when we, are, when we come to Christ, we come to Christ because we know that He is a demonstration of the character of God and that God is good. But he is inviting us to become children of God so that he can set his love on us in the same way that we would set our love on our children times infinity. And so the invitation to come to Christ is really an invitation to fear the Lord, not as a monster, but as a child fears and respects and holds in awe a parent. Now, this is the thing we need to know about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not a fear that is terrified of an enemy and monster, but the fear that a child has for a father. And not just a father, the best father in the world. So in other words, my kids, my kids love to make me happy. They love their daddy. As insufficient as I am, as flawed as I am, uh, they think I'm great. Uh, they think I'm like Superman. There is nothing like coming home in my house and having my boys run up and say, Daddy! I'm like... Yes! Everybody should greet me like that. <laughs> it's boys, they love you. And they, they fear me and they respect me because they know that I'm just but also that I have expectations for them to live because I care about how they treat one another and how they treat their mom. And so they, they don't want to disobey me because they know there's discipline there. But they also know that there's no one that wants to be generous to them like their dad. There's no one who, who, who loves them like their dad, nobody who loves to cuddle with Jack like dad. There, there's so many ways and reasons that they have a fear of their dad, that they respect him and have him at all. It, it's not because they think I'm a monster and they're like, i got to do it or dad's going like to eat me at night or something. It's not a terrifying kind of fear. It is a, a respect and a love and adoration and admiration. It's a, a very complex, uh, big emotion that they have towards me as, as a fear of their father. And it's that same fear of the Lord that we're invited into, and the disciples are, to, are asked to have, anybody to have for uh, God the Father and God the Son. See, what we need to know is, is that Jesus shifts the conversation from fear to faith for a very important reason. It's because it's the fear of the Lord that dispels all other fears and frees us from the tyrants that we treat as gods. Let me say it again it's the fear of the Lord that dispels all other fears. And frees us from the tyrants that we treat as gods. That's what he wants to introduce them to. I want you to know a greater fear that will set you free. It is the only being that you can fear that actually will leave you better than when he meets you. Only God does that. See, brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord, it is all of grace. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that we are entered into a fear of the Lord that brings us hope and not terror. That gives us Christ and not God's wrath. What a joy. It's a fear of the Lord that silences our mutinous hearts that look to dethrone God and leads us to death. There was another sailor who saw this keenly. John Newton, a pastor who also wrote many hymns, hundreds of hymns. He, John Newton, wrote Amazing Grace. And I love the second stand of Amazing Grace. He says it was grace that taught my heart to fear. You see it? Grace, grace did that. It taught me to fear. then he goes on to say what? And grace, my fears relieved. See it? Grace taught my heart to fear. Right? Right? And grace, my fears relieved. It did both. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. See, God's grace wars against earthly fears. And catch this. We fear a lot of things that we shouldn't. And don't really spend enough time fearing the things that we should. see, Jesus would later answer the, the disciples' question. That question that they asked, Jesus, do you care if I drown? He answers that question, he answers it at the cross, doesn't he? See, Jesus, he slept in the face of a raging storm while the disciples feared death. But as Jesus approached the cross, it was the disciples that slept like babies. As Jesus restlessly anticipated the fearful cross. And Jesus willingly faced the cross and received the most fearful wrath of God for our sins in full. Dying in our place only to be raised from the dead to declare that He put our greater fears to death. Sin, death, and the devil. I I love what Puritan pastor William Gurnell said about this. He said, our problem is that we fear men so much because we fear God so little. This morning, if you're paralyzed by fear, maybe it's that you need to be more paralyzed by God than you are by the the men or the people or the sicknesses or whatever it is that's causing your heart so much unrest. My friend, if you're not a Christian, I I just want you to know that that you fear something. I I hope that you've seen that this morning. And maybe uh, there are many things that you fear, even if you wouldn't call it that. You might give it another alias. But you are controlled by your fear of something. And let me just ask you this. What controls you today that gives you hope of eternal life and freedom from being controlled by the things that only lead to death and the judgment of God? What promises you? What is it that you fear that promises you a future and a hope? How many things that you've been fearing and trusting in have actually fulfilled what you have hoped for in them? See, only God can do that. Only Jesus faced your greatest fears for you so that you don't have to live in fear anymore. So let me just encourage you, if if you're here and you've not put your faith in Christ, don't leave before talking to me. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus who has loved you so. He is better than any of the things that you fear. He's a better Lord. He's a better God. But also, Christian brothers and sisters, uh, I believe there's a way that we we should think about this ourselves. Uh, How can we cultivate a fear of the Lord in our hearts? Let me just leave you with a few ways that you can cultivate fear of the Lord in your hearts. The first is, always, right? Pray. Why do we remind you week after week that you need to pray? Because we're so prone to forget what we need to do, aren't we? Like pastors need to be reminded to pray. People need to be reminded to pray. We need to be reminded to pray. But we need to pray. The Holy Spirit loves to make much of Jesus. Jesus who is both the lion and the lamb. He is fierce and gentle. And we need to be reminded that We serve a Savior who is mighty and powerful and able to save. And He's also loving and gentle and humble and willing to come and lower Himself to help us, sinners like you and me. We need to pray that God would give us a a profound sense of a fear of the Lord. Uh, A fear of the Lord for uh, His power, uh, for His wisdom, for His love, uh, that we would be overwhelmed by a sense of the greatness of who God is. We need the Holy Spirit to conjure up those emotions in us. We cannot do it ourselves. That is of God. We need to ask of God, trusting that He's willing to give. Second, we need to study the character of God. We need to study His attributes. We need to study what God is like. Because the fear of the Lord, it cast out earthly fears. You know, maybe this morning, <clears throat> what you really need to help, help you get out of that paralyzing sense of fear over what your future holds or, or, or what your present circumstances look like, which is bleak. Maybe what you really need more than anything is not to continue to look out for answers, but to look up to God and who He is. To listen to the promises that He has made for you. See, God reveals Himself as just, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. And this ought to set us at awe about who He is. And God, He is awesome in love and He is awesome in power. Now, I know that pastors talk a lot about how we overuse awesome, like pizza's awesome, right? Like that water gun's awesome. And God's awesome. But let me just say that there is nothing awesome like God is. There's nothing that ought to uh, paralyze us and stun us and captivate us like God and who He is. There's nothing like God in all of creation, things seen or unseen. He is the uncreated One. He is glorious beyond anything that we know. Uh, There is none like God. It's the love of God that sent Christ to the cross. It is the power of God that has saved us. And each service, I don't know if you know this, but we actually try to help you do this. Every one of our services begins with the Scripture that we're going to preach. And we have a theological theme every week. And it drives everything we do. The songs we sing, the prayers we pray. As as we're praying in the the pastoral prayer, you'll notice that we are praising God for specific attributes of who He is. That He is altogether powerful, altogether strong. uh, That He is altogether loving, uh, fearful. But we are going one by one through the attributes of God. That He is just. And we do that. uh, and, And in addition, we actually, if we're preaching from the New Testament, we'll read an Old Testament text that shows the same character of God on display. And the reason that we do that week after week is we are trying to train one another how to think about God's many attributes and His character, so that we are constantly gazing at God from different angles and different perspectives, seeing how magnificent He is. And our hope is is that more and more, we are training ourselves and our children and others to be freshly aware of how grand God is. That he might arrest us and set us at awe and change the course of our lives week by week, little by little, to the glory of his name. See, God, he is glorious and worthy. But we also know, third, that we need to regularly set our fears before the cross of Christ. You need to constantly set your fears before the, co- the cross of Christ. See, I've often quoted Charles Spurgeon who famously said that you should abide hard by the cross and study the mystery of His wounds. Abide hard by the cross and study the mystery of His wounds. The grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ ought to make us brave. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and Jesus is wisdom, the wisdom of God, then we need to look to Jesus constantly for help to fight back earthly fears. And Jesus answers all of our questions about whether or not God cares if we drown. See, Jesus faced the ocean of the wrath of God to bring peace to you and me at the very cost of His own life. Jesus faced the ocean of God's wrath for us. And friends, you will not die alone. Maybe that's your fear. You won't die alone because Christ promises to never leave you. And not only that, He's given you a new family until that day when Christ gets back in the church. And God promises you a better name. Maybe you're, you're, you're scared. Like, I'll be forgotten. There are many forgotten Christians who will be remembered on that last day when Jesus returns forever. So He will give us a new and a better name. We know that the riches that we lose in this world pale in comparison to the inheritance that awaits us. And God promises us not only a better name, but that He will be Father of all. Who are in Christ. And a better dad. Maybe you're thinking. Man I just wish I would have had better parents. He is the father that all failing fathers point towards. Even the best fathers fail. To be the kind of father you long for. That you only get in God the Father. And he will finally deliver you from your sins. Those sins that you worry if Jesus is just letting you drown in them. He promises once and for all a day is coming. Don't give up. I'm not going to let you drown. Study what Christ's wounds mean for you today. Also, we're promised that fears of suffering and loss will be replaced by joy. 1 Peter 4.12-17 Know this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, which is fearful and scary when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that ye may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And how many of us in the face of fear start to say, come Lord Jesus, come. In a way that we never do before and maybe never again. Fear makes us long for the glory that's coming. Maybe we get too comfortable. We're reminded we need Jesus to get back and to set things right. Maybe you've suffered this week and you're reminded of that. Well, in conclusion, I... I love, uh, I love uh, a hymn that was written, written by Horatius Spafford, who, as many of you know, lost everything in that great Chicago fire before sending his wife and children on a trip to Europe. And as they were sailing across the waters, there was a great wreck. The boat sank, and she lost all of her children. And she wrote back to her husband, alone survived. She was the only one who made it. And so here's a man who's lost riches. He's lost his children. And he's traveling across the water to go encourage his wife and to hold her. And it was there that he wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. I mean, if there was any a time where you would think that it was not well with someone's soul, you would think it was then. And yet he writes, he pins on those waters as he goes to see his wife, It is well with my soul. And there's much to be gleaned from that hymn, but I love what he says in, one of the, in the second stanza. He, he says this, and I, I've been meditating on this, this has been sweet for my soul this week. He says, deep and unfathomable minds. You know, minds like a coal mine down into the, the ground. Deep labyrinths. He says, deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill. Okay, now he's talking about God and what He's doing in these minds. He says, He being God, He treasures up His bright designs. You see it? There's a treasury hidden down deep beyond anything anybody can see right now. There's a treasury that's building up. His bright designs. Can't see it now. It's hidden. But it's there. And it's growing. And He goes on to say, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. You know, we we won't see those designs until we get to heaven, and we might not ever see all of those designs. But what we can trust in all of the fearful circumstances that we face in this life, the fearful losses that are taking from us, that we're asking, does Jesus care if we drown? What well, we can know, the Bible's answer to that is, is that God is treasuring up majestic, spectacular plans, weaving together things as our sovereign, wise God in ways that we could never imagine. And one day, one day, they will be on display. And we will be surprised and amazed and rejoice and we won't believe it because it's amazing. Except that God said it and so we know we got to. Friends, that's what we long for. So today, if you are fearing, know this. There is a greater fear that eases all fears and that's the fear of the Lord. It is grace that fights back in wars against the fears that paralyze you in this life. Let's pray.